0: If you would turn, um, turn to Colossians chapter four, but and just put your finger there. But I also want you to go to Habakkuk. If you don't know where Habakkuk is, that's okay. Go to the, go to the, go to the middle between the New Testament and the Old Testament, and start going back to your left. You got Malachi. you going to come. If you keep going to the left, you're going to run into the Z's. You know, you're at the end of a book when you get to the Z's. Zechariah, then you're going to get to Zephaniah, and then before Zephaniah, you get to Habakkuk. If you need to look in your index, your index in your Bible will tell you the page as well. There's no, there's no harm, there's no shame in that. I know personally, sometimes somebody asks, it's easier just to look up the page number instead of sorting around through those books. Just look it up, look it up. Otherwise, you might by the end of the sermon, you might find Habakkuk by the end of the sermon. I found it, I found it. Well, good, close in prayer. Let's close in prayer. In, in, Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4, as we move through Colossians, he says in verse 5, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you respond to each person. You know, I, I begin, I, I, I'm always looking ahead, and, and, and I'm always studying and preparing, and Sunday afternoon, when, I, when we wrap up, what we wrap up today, I'm already looking Sunday afternoon at the next verses. And uh, I love preaching through books of the Bible. It, it, when you have attention issues like me and uh, when, you, when you get excited about a lot of different things, it, you know, it can be hard to stay focused and I want to preach this and this and this, but the, you know what, verse 5 comes after verse 4 and that's helpful to someone like my personality, like a little Labrador running all around just wanting to please people in that and and I, I start on Sunday afternoon and I start preparing and start studying and, you know, all week I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm reading and I, I kind of would equate it to I'm, I'm gathering groceries, I'm studying and I'm making notes and notes and putting together an outline and that outline helps shape my thinking and usually by th- th- Thursday morning I, I've got all the, I've kind of I've got all my notes together and I, I've got a nice outline hopefully and that's true to the text and that was the case with Wednesday, and then Wednesday afternoon happened. And um, those things are tough, obviously. You know, I every every morning, mostly every morning. I have the privilege. It's probably one of the highlights of my day is I walk my daughter to her door of her classroom. We have a little routine we do and I play with the other kids in the classroom and mess around and the teacher probably hates it we get them all riled up and then I just leave. Enjoy your day. And and then I take my son and I Sit in the car with my son until they let him go into school, and we just chat. And sometimes we read the Word, and sometimes we just chat. And I thought about Wednesday night. There's a bunch of parents who will not get to do that ever again. And I thought about my own two kids, and I and I, and I thought, how do Chris? How do you respond? How does a Christian respond do, do I have a biblical response? and I started thinking do, do do the does the church do the people that comprise the church that I pastor do they know how to biblically respond and and you know i I felt like I, I, I was way ahead on the sermon and I was feeling good about it and then Wednesday night happens and Wednesday afternoon and I felt like the Lord really put it on my heart to go a different direction. But, but, but even as I thought about it in God's wisdom, what, what we say today is, the, is, is Colossians 4. Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders. Making the most of the opportunity. We have opportunities in this. The gospel will advance in this. We have an opportunity to speak hope into a hopeless, seemingly, from a worldly perspective, hopeless situation. Let your speech be seasoned with grace as though seasoned with salt. And so, this is Colossians 4, 5, and 6, just on a very visibly application situation. This is how it looks. What I want to do today, this is what 1 Peter 3, 15 looks like when he says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you, but, but do it with gentleness and do it with respect. You know, what we see, what we see Wednesday seems, it, 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 it rattles us. And the suffering of the righteous, the suffering of, of children who were just going about their business at school, The the seemingly prosperity of the unrighteous, the seemingly prosperity of the guilty has always confounded God's people. And though, listen, we're never going to solve it completely on this side of eternity, meaning I'll never have all the answers that you would want me to have. God's Word does offer us answers. They, They may not be what we want. They may not be what we think they should be. But but listen, God's Word is is sufficient, more than sufficient to equip us to conduct ourselves with wisdom towards those in the world. When these things happen, the Word of God is sufficient. Again, all Scripture is is what? Good to make you adequate, equipped. And, And we need biblical answers. And the Word offers those. And I'll say on the front end, here's where where we're going. At the end of the day, here's the hope we have. Here's the promises we have. Here's what you and I as believers, and again, this message, this is to believers, okay? We gather to worship. We scatter to evangelize. I want us equipped so that when we scatter today, we can speak into the lives of those at our work, in our neighborhoods, and we can offer hope. But, but at the end of the day, you and I have got to be confident, and here's where it's rooted: in the faith and care. Our faith has got to be in the character and the promises of our great God. You cannot waver in regards to the character and the promises of God. The, the, world, wants, the world will want us to believe that God is not good because those things happen. Listen, we, we worship a God, our faith is in a God who is, who is always faithful, who has made promises, and we build everything on the hope of those promises. And, and those promises, in, in large regard, are future-oriented. I mean, we need a strong hope. I, I love... I love even before 1 Peter 3, 15, in verses 13 and 14, the context, it says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. I was watching yesterday, the thing came on the TV, and there was a sign that says, We don't want your prayers, we want gun control. That's crazy. Now, I'm not, this ain't political. Don't be careful, Barbara. I'm not going there, Barbara. I know how Barbara feels about it. That's my mother-in-law. We're not going to make this political. Exactly, exactly. Amen, amen, amen. A little child shall lead them. How about that? Yeah, take that, Barbara. Take that. A one-year-old laughs, you know, the world devises evil, it says in Psalm 2, and the Lord scoffs at them. That's the Lord scoffing. Literally, that's what, and it's funny because that's what Psalm 2 presents. The world puts up a front towards God. Satan and his, and his imps think they're going to squash God. You know what it says in Psalm 2? The Lord laughs. He scoffs. Again, we, we have to trust in the character of our God. We've got to trust the promises. And listen, if we're going to trust in those promises, we need to know those promises. It's the Word of God that equips us. We need to know the promises. Again, Hebrews 11.1, faith, and this is not a flimsy faith. Again, the faith that the Word offers is a strong faith. It's an assured faith. It's It's a confident faith. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's not flimsy. Assurance. Conviction. We, We need that faith. Listen, life seems one way, and yet there's a sovereign, good, merciful, just God, again, who is working, who is a promise keeper. We'll look at it in a minute, but while we wait, God has given us the scriptures, says Romans 15, 4, to fuel our hope, to fuel our hope. We we see pictures of a God who for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, in spite of all of man's sin, has never, ever, ever not once been faithful, has never, ever, ever, ever not once been true to his word. And he didn't start on Wednesday. And, why, and listen, we have to wait. While we wait, we have the Scriptures to fuel that. That's why, again, that, that is my heart behind the homework that Melissa sends out every week, starting in Genesis. If you don't get that, email Melissa. I, I'm trying to... It, look. I'm just giving you one more, one more piece of ammo to do as a family. If you don't know what to do, do these. But to equip our kids, to equip the adults, to, to see the faithfulness of God, starting in Genesis. We're walking through. My son and I, we were on our way to... Go, I go get him in the afternoons, we go feed our goats, that's a whole different story. And then we go to, on Thursdays we go eat dinner because we have football and I got out the homework and while I'm driving he's reading Genesis 37-50 through 50 and we're talking about God's goodness and sovereignty. Even in the midst of Joseph's life, sold into slavery by his brothers, wrongly imprisoned, servant. Separated from his dad, separated from his brothers. And and, and yet, God was sovereignly working out a plan for Joseph to be right where Joseph needed to be, right at the time Joseph needed to be, to provide for his people. Listen, not about Joseph, because God had promised to take care of his people. And in the midst of all that nasty stuff, you see a God that was faithful. Faithful. And and look, sin has never, ever defeated God's plan. And it won't. The hope for redemption and God's plan for redemption all along, and it fuels our faith. And I want us as a people, my responsibility is, is again, to equip us as a people to have answers. And so that's why we turn to Habakkuk today. For, for those of you, I want to set the stage and context because... The context, rather, I'm assuming... I don't know if you know what Habakkuk is about or not. It's one of my favorite Old Testament books. Habakkuk is a prophet. You say, what was a prophet? A prophet was an individual who represented God to the people. God would speak to the prophet. The prophet would then go give that message to the people. You see it, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all those guys. They would hear from the Lord... And then, and then they would; those prophets would speak to the people on behalf of God. God would give them a message; they would relay that. And yet, in Habakkuk, we see Habakkuk addressing God personally. Habakkuk does not get a message from God to give to the people. Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, is Habakkuk, the prophet, addressing his own questions to God. He's going to God with his own questions, and he's asking them. The the, the it is, a, it is the recording of the struggles of a prophet himself towards God and how God was handling things and what was going on in the world around him. That's Habakkuk. Him struggling with what he sees and how does that mesh with your plan, God? And how does that mesh with your goodness? He, he looked at his own people, Israel, and Israel was engrossed in sin. They had abandoned their covenant, if you will, with the Mosaic covenant. They had abandoned it. He's looking on the horizon of time and he sees Babylon, a huge world power. Babylon is going to come in and is going to destroy, in large part, Israel. It's going to take them over. And Habakkuk is saying, how does this make sense, God. He's saying, God, Babylon and their sin is worse than Israel's sin. You're going to allow a worse nation to discipline your people and destroy your people? And God says, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And you know what he tells Habakkuk? He says, you know what I'm going to do as well? I'm going to raise up Babylon and I'm going to let them discipline my people. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to discipline Babylon for discipline my people. Think about that. And Habakkuk is saying, this don't make any sense. What God is doing didn't make sense to him. Look, look with me at Habakkuk. He says, starting in verse 1, the oracle which, the, which Habakkuk the prophet saw. Here's Habakkuk, here, here, two questions. But he says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. Here it is. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. You ever felt like that? And you see it on your handout. The question that Habakkuk really is getting at that I, want, that I think we're getting at, that we're struggling with today, is this. Is God good when there is so much evil and tragedy in the world? Is God still good? How can you be good, God, when all of this is going on? And I think this ties in directly with Colossians. We must, as believers, we better conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. We better know how to answer these questions and be able to present the goodness and the greatness of our God. Notice again, and I'll say this on the front end, Habakkuk doesn't go to the world with his problems and bring the character of his great God under question to amongst outsiders. He goes directly to God. Be careful. Be careful with your questions. God can handle your questions, but go to Him with them. Don't talk to outsiders about them. Don't feed their doubt in the greatness of our God. Go to Him. He can handle them and and what Habakkuk does is he asks two questions you see them on your handout, as he looked at the world and he looked at his circumstances. Habakkuk really asked two questions that I, that I think you and I struggle with these two questions, not only in looking at wednesday but but listen, there are circumstances that all that so many of you have have walked through even as i even as I preach this you're you're so far ahead of me and, and your faithfulness and how you Trusted God, and, and you've walked through these, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for your faith in spite of these. And listen to what he says. A, there, the first thing Habakkuk does is he he voices a frustration of unanswered prayers. The frustration of unanswered prayers can cause us to question God's goodness if we're not careful. Look at verse two. How long, O oh Lord, will I call for help and you not hear? Why are you ignoring me, God? Listen, God hears our prayers. He's omniscient. He hears all of them. Even that thought right there blows my mind. But He hears them. But what what Habakkuk is saying is, you're not giving me any evidence, God, that you hear my prayers. You're not assuring me that you're hearing my prayers. Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody ever wondered... God, are you even hearing my prayers? He cried out to the Lord, reminding them of all the violence, all the stuff he observed, and yet the Lord, seemingly, from Habakkuk's perspective, did nothing. Wasn't responding. We've all been there. The question becomes, how do we respond? How do we respond when when, when we're in that situation? When it appears that God is not answering, hearing, nor responding to our prayers. But the other question Habakkuk poses is found in verses 3 and 4, and it's this. It's the frustration generated by the apparent success of the unrighteous. You ever felt like the the unbelievers were winning? You ever felt like the world was winning? You ever felt like like the, the world was getting away with their sin? You ever wondered, is it worth it? I mean, and that he says, look, how long are you going to let me look at iniquity? How long are you going to let me look on wickedness? The wicked surround the righteous. Justice is perverted. And and, and from Habakkuk's perspective, God did nothing about the situation, was doing nothing about it. It seemed... Like people were getting away with their sin. The, the word violence in Habakkuk occurs, occurs six times. It, it means more than physical. You see it there in, in 2 and in 3 and 4. It's more than just physical brutality. It's a flagrant um, violation of, of the moral law of God. It, it, it refers to ethical wrongs. And, and these were piling up. And what Habakkuk does is he, this is his way of just piling it on, saying everywhere I look, it's sin, 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 and you're not doing anything about it. And, 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 and you know, Wednesday night, I sat there and I thought, just gloom. And, and, I, and, I, and I, read, I read somewhere, I think it said, there's been 18, I think it was 18 shootings in the last year in our schools. 18, I'm not sorry, I think it was 18 shootings this year. This year alone in American schools. 18. Listen, we're in February. 18. How do we, how do we deal with that? How do we address the questions? As we're engaging the world around us, do we have answers? Why, why does it seem that wickedness is winning? Why does it seem that justice is perverted? Think about it. How do you answer the question, is God good when there is so much evil and tragedy in the world? How do you you have answers? Are they sound biblically? Because, listen, if you struggle with that, listen, you're not alone. Psalms, go read Psalm 73, the Psalm of Asaph. Go, go, Go to Jeremiah, struggled in Jeremiah 14, 9. He struggled with this. Why, why does it seem evil goes unrestrained, that, that evil people seem to prosper while God's people seem to suffer, while, while children die in our schools? Seemingly, again, on the surface, they're not innocent, but seemingly innocent. I mean, I'm not saying they weren't sinners, but they're sitting there minding their business in a school. It doesn't seem right to us. And be, be honest. I mean, again, we've asked those questions, and again, you're in good company. I sat through uh, Wednesday night, I had, trouble, I had trouble sleeping, I had trouble sleeping Thursday night. Thinking about this. I, I, I've, 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 I've searched and searched and searched so that I could present you honest help this morning. And, and I hope it helps. It's probably not going to be to the extent that you want because I can't solve it. This ain't 2 plus 2 equals 4. But, but the Bible does offer sound answers. And so to, to, to Habakkuk's questions, God in his graciousness and faithfulness offers two answers. Two answers. Look at verse 5. The first, the first response that God gives is this. God is very aware of our prayers and we must believe that he is working even in, in, in ways that even if he told us, we couldn't comprehend. I love verse 5. Think about this. I love verse 5. Look at verse 5 of chapter 1. This is God responding to Habakkuk. Look among the nations observe, Be astonished, wonder. Because I am doing something in your days. And look at what he says. You would not believe it even if I told you. You think about that. Listen. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. You couldn't handle it. You ever, Your kids ever ask you a question and you're like, there is no way I can explain that simple enough for them. They're not going to understand it. They're they're, they're not. They're they're not going to understand it. And think about that for a moment. Everything that God knows, everything that God controls, all people, all places, all nations, all leaders, all those things he's sovereign over, all those going at one time, and he is sovereignly working those things out. You think you can eat? You think you and I can even for a second try to understand that? Like, I can't even get my kids to sit through dinner. I don't understand why they can't sit through dinner. You think I'm going to understand the outworkings of God in, a, in the world? He says, Habakkuk, even if I told you, you ain't going to get it. If you were to go to Acts 13, uh, verse 41, I believe it is, he, he, he gives, the, Paul applies this same truth to his, to his dealings in his church in his day. Behold, you scoffers and marvel and perish. For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. You you think Joseph would have grasped what he was going to go through if God had tried to explain it to him? I doubt it. I mean, you can go on and on and on. You think about this. Think about the and, and really what it's ultimately pointing to, you think about the gospel. Paul himself says it's a mystery look gentiles Jews all in one family that's crazy a, a savior coming taking on the taking on flesh dying for sins he never committed 3 days later resurrected i mean seriously if god told him that it's too much it's too much Again, the Bible in First Corinthians says it's foolishness to those who are perishing. The natural mind, 1 Corinthians 2:14, does not grasp the things of God. Why? Because it says they are spiritually appraised. It's too much. Deuteronomy 29:29 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord. It's too much. And again, but God does say, listen to this, I'm working in ways you wouldn't even imagine. And he, Habakkuk could not comprehend that God would use evil Babylon to discipline Israel for their sin, and yet he did, and, and God was answering Habakkuk's prayer in ways that he could not imagine or had not imagined. Even Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, again, God lays all his cards out on the table to Isaiah and says, listen, my ways are not your ways. Listen, my ways are higher than your ways. That's what he says. They're higher. You, you can't comprehend it. And, and what he tells him is, look, he goes on to say in, the, in, in more verses after chapter 5, just because God seemingly doesn't do anything or that he seems to be allowing evil to prosper and even using evil to harm the, his people, He's still good, and I'm doing something, Habakkuk. I'm at work. I'm not out of control. God is sovereign, and He uses even the bad things to bring about good. Again, Romans 8, 28. He, he, he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose. He doesn't author it necessarily, but He causes He's sovereign over it. Genesis even fifteen twenty with Joseph. You meant it for evil. He says, I meant it for good. All that stuff in Joseph's life. All that terrible stuff. Your brothers, they meant it for evil. But look, I was sovereign over it. And I used it for good. I meant it for good. And, and Habakkuk, he goes on. God answers the first question. Look, I am aware, Habakkuk. You may not feel like it. I am fully aware of your prayers. But he also addresses the second question regarding the, the seemingly prosperity of evil. And he says in, he says in He says, God will punish. He he goes on to say, listen, I will punish sin at the time that I appoint. But in the meantime, wait patiently, Habakkuk. Wait patiently. Habakkuk, again, he understood that God was just, but in in Habakkuk's eyes, God was allowing sinners to prosper. And that perplexed Habakkuk. He looked around at the things that are going on, and he was perplexed. And again, this is not a new feeling for one of God's people. You go through Malachi, Jeremiah, Asaph, Job. All wonder, God, what are you doing in handling this? And, and what he says is, look, he, 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 look and he goes on to say, look, God, I discipline sin, he says. Habakkuk, I discipline sin. But I'm going to do it in a way and a time that I see fit and I'm going to use people, and I'm going to use nations, even that I don't approve of, to do what I want done. And it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean that he endorses it. He uses it. Causes it to work out for good. Again, God is, here's the good news for you and I, and, and listen. We love God, God. Romans 2, 4 says, Do not think lightly of God's kindness and tolerance towards sin, knowing that it leads us to Repentance. Listen, I was 16 years old when I turned away from sin and turned to Christ. 16 years God was patient with my sin. The first time I sinned, you know what I deserved? Death. And God was patient. And I'm thankful for that. In my sinfulness, though, you know what I don't like? I love patience with regards to my sin. I don't do well with patience towards your sin. I'm real good at wanting patience towards my sin. But I struggle when God is patient toward other people's sin. I want want Him to do things according to my wisdom. And and the reality of suffering, the reality of these things... Look, we live in a sinful world. And and for both believers and non-believers alike... Listen, the reality of suffering is unavoidable. But, But here's what you've got to understand... It's because of sin. We can look at Romans 1.18 and following, and there's some hard verses over there, but it says, Though they knew God, they did not give thanks to God, nor did they worship Him as God. But rather, their futile hearts were darkened. They turned away from Him. They refused to acknowledge what God had made obvious. You know what it says? Two or three different times, God gave them over to their sin. Took His hand off. You want sin? Have at it. You want to go that route? Have at it. And listen, let's be honest. That shakes us, some of us. That shakes some of us. God would do that? Absolutely He would do that. He did it. Listen, Galatians 6 is very clear. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, guess what He does? He reaps. Law of the harvest. And again, it even goes on to say that God's wrath towards sin is apparent even today. Today we are suffering the wrath of God because of sin. People turn their backs on God. They refuse to worship Him. At some point, God says, okay, we're going to let sin run its course. The consequences, have at it, big boy. You choose sin over me, which again, the root of all of this is idolatry. Idolatry. And the number one idol in my life, in your life, the number one idol in everyone's life, you know who it is? Self. Self. It's me. Number one idol in my life. Me. I love me. I'm real good at pleasing me. And, and again, Habakkuk's culture, Israel, had ignored God. They had turned to sin. They were worshiping false gods. They were doing all these crazy things. In our world today, again, we we again we're the same way. And listen, God, God, again, He forgives, but listen, there's consequences. Consequences. And, and these are not always understandable, easy to understand truths, but they're true. And God not choosing to interfere with Babylon and, and their wickedness and destroying Israel, it confounded Habakkuk. That's not the way I would have done it, he says, basically. And and God is using a nation to discipline his own people. And he says, that's that's right. And it seemed from Habakkuk that God was tolerating wicked or that he was endorsing wicked to further. He said, no, I'm not endorsing them. I'm saying, Israel, you're getting the fruit. You're reaping what you sowed. You've chosen idolatry over me. You've chosen to abandon me to self. And there's fruits for that. And again, what we saw Wednesday and what we've seen in our culture time and time again that no one wants to acknowledge is the sinfulness and the depravity of man. And, and guess what? When we choose to abandon God, when we choose to worship self, when we choose to glorify self at all costs, Wednesday happens. You look throughout the Bible when 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 man, pride always always led to the taking advantage and the persecution of other men and women. Always led to the mistreatment of others. Pride, self-idolatry. Why? Because if I'm king, I can do whatever I want and it, whatever the consequences, that's too bad. It's about me. Pride and idolatry always leads to the destruction of man. It's pride idolatry refusal to submit to the lordship of christ and listen you, i'm not trying to be political here but you can't regulate sin you can't legislate sin we need new hearts and as i sat there as i sat there thinking about it uh, and you see this in the next point what god is showing us in this is that the gospel is the ultimate answer to sin it's the gospel they Jeremiah 17:9 The heart is desperately wicked who can understand it. We love sin. And God is screaming the gospel, the gospel. I mean, the world asks and these people are asking on TV, why doesn't God do anything about sin? And I'm sitting there in my bed thinking he has done something about sin. At his own cost. I mean, he crucified his son for sins that he did not commit to pay for the sins that you and I committed. He has done something about sin. 2,000 years ago, he gave his son, of which he had promised thousands and thousands and thousands of years before. And he was faithful. And, And again... And, and guess what? God intruded into the world in that way, and you know what he says? I'm going to come back, and I'm going to intrude into the world again. I have, um, for, for now, he is offering salvation. He is offering a chance to be reconciled to God. And you know what we do in our world? We walk along, picking daisies, having a good time in our sin, dull to the consequences, until Wednesday happens. We ignore God until Wednesday happens, and then all of a sudden we blame God. That's the reality that nobody wants to say. We blame everybody, including God, except the person in the mirror. And that's the way all of us are. Your kids learn that real early. She made me angry. He made me do it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. You know why you're angry? Because you're angry. You know why you're angry? Because you're selfishness. You know where anger is rooted in? Anger is always rooted in selfishness. Unrighteous anger, I mean. It's always rooted in selfishness. You want something, it's denied, it's blocked, and so you get angry. And the person who blocked you now becomes your enemy, and so you're angry at him, it's all their fault. Well, no, no. You're selfish. Look at James. Where do fights and quarrels come from among you? You want and you do not have. So you know what you do? Go get it. Please self. And forgive me if I come across angry. I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at a world who's blaming my awesome God. That's what I'm angry about. God's getting blamed for things that are not, again, he don't need to be blamed for. He's offered his son. And only the gospel can change people's hearts. We want, we want all of, we want God to do what we want him to do without the repentance. That's what we want. We want the blessings, again, without the repentance. We want the blessings without the loyalty. And again, Habakkuk is saying, look, Christ is it. He is the hope. And again, going back to Colossians, making the most of every opportunity, you and I have a tremendous opportunity to share the gospel in these times. The hope, the hope for the idolatry of of America is Christ. You want to be freed from loving self? Christ. You want to be freed from the hang-up of having to do things for self all the time? It's Christ. It's Christ. And and Habakkuk reminds us that when things are out of control, God is in control, totally in control. Sin's not winning. God is in control. And again, the the root of what we saw Wednesday is sinfulness. Sinfulness. We, we will do anything to not be culpable, to not take ownership or responsibility for our sin. How could God do this? No, no, how could you do this? Sin. Sin. I, I can say a whole lot more there, but I don't want to eat emails that I'd turn it in political and all that stuff. Look, people kill people. Sin. Sin. Now, that doesn't mean don't go run and Chris thinks everybody should have a gun. You don't want me to have a gun. I'm just telling you, you don't want me to have a gun. And I, there's a lot of people I know that I don't want them to have guns. Listen, for all of our sake, for their sake. But it's sin. Go, go to chapter 2 of Habakkuk. I, I would challenge you to, again, why would God do this? It seems so wrong until you read verses 6 through 19 and you see what their sin was and you see where that nation had, of Israel had gotten to. And listen to me. That What we see in chapter 6 through 19, listen, it represents Israel, it represents Babylon, but listen to me, it represents United States. Our precious little United States. God's chosen, whatever. It represents us. Listen to this, listen to this. If you were to read verses 6 through 9, here's what, here's what God says Israel was guilty of. Unjust economic practices. You can sum it up with unjust economic practices. They were taking advantage of people in order to get rich. The rich were getting richer, and they were using the poor and, and, and abusing the poor in order to get richer. Listen to me. Think about our America. High interest rates that take advantage of the poor, too easily offering debt, building wealth through crooked means, you name it. We're guilty. We're guilty. You look at verses 8 through 13. Mistreatment of people. Slavery, still alive today. Go to the I-I-Statistics say the I-4, I-75, I-75 corridor is one of the number one places where people are trafficked for sex in our backyard. We treat people as a commodity, we abuse them. Racism, still alive and well, unfortunately. Taking advantage of immigrants and all this again—I'm not trying to be political. I'm just simply saying the heart is desperately wicked. We're taking it. people are still taking advantage, of it. mistreated. You go to 15 through 17. Irresponsible leaders. I'm going to leave that one alone for the sake of my email box. Irresponsible leaders. Again, I don't. I, I got to stop. 18 and 19. Idolatry. Idolatry. Listen. I'm going to ask you this question and and look smart by nodding your head north and south. Is idolatry still rampant today? Yes. Yes. And this is really where it all boiled down to. Idolatry. Self. It's why Israel fell to Babylon. Sin. Rampant idolatry. Listen, you and I live in a messed up world because you and I are messed up sin we need a savior the issue is sin idolatry is the issue we have rejected god we love sin we prioritize self sin reigns even in the church we're not living wisely before outsiders we're not making the most of every opportunity the reality is in many of many of our lives look so much like the world's lives that they don't see a difference and our lives are not declaring again that christ is unrivaled that's the problem Again, it's the issue of sin. We need a Savior. And the reality is, if you look at the Scripture, it says that sin would be worse than it is today, but God is currently restraining it. Go to Thessalonians. As bad as you think it is, it's getting worse. He's restraining it. He, He don't get any credit for that. And again, God hates sin. Part of it is God hates sin so much that eventually He allows its consequences. Look, go ahead. Go ahead. And and, and what we see in Habakkuk is the response. And here's just three practical truths that, that Habakkuk answers for you and I. And this is kind of where I want to get to to say all that. Because okay, so okay, I get it, Chris. We get it. What what do we do now? But but we gotta know, again, all application comes from right interpretation. We gotta know what Habakkuk is actually saying. We gotta know what the Bible says before we just run to the application. Because if we don't understand what it says, we're gonna apply it wrong. And in Habakkuk 2, verses 3 and 4, this is, this is the way God responds to Habakkuk. The Lord answered me and said, Record the vision inscribe scribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. Listen, here it is. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal of it and will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it certainly will come, it will not delay. Behold, verse 4, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. Listen, but the righteous will live by faith. I have three quick practical things for us to walk out of here and how do we approach these things rightly? How do we individually as believers handle this? The first thing is trusting God will require us to wait for Him to work out His plan. You're going to have to wait. Our ways aren't His ways. Our timing is not His. God gives Habakkuk a vision he says, hey, I want you to write it down so you can tell everybody about it, but you're going to have to wait for it. I'm going to tell you how it's going to go, but you're going to have to wait. It's, it's, it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen immediately. Listen, you and I wait for it. You and I live in a time where we're what? Wait. We're waiting. God's already told us how it ends. You know what our job is? To wait. And that word wait, you know what it means? It doesn't mean sit on the couch and do nothing and just God's sovereignly going to make the phone ring if you don't have a job. It means go fill out applications and put your resume out there and do everything you know to do and wait. Do everything you know to do, i.e., share the gospel. Preach the gospel. Work the gospel into your conversations at home and work and explain that, you know what, there is a problem, but here's the solution, Christ. That's how you wait. Wait. You share the gospel while you wait. And and listen, do you and I know everything? We don't don't have it all figured out. But the uncomfortable truth that we must face, you see it on your hand, is part of following God means that we have to wait for explanations. You gotta wait. That's again, you gotta wait. And and that's a struggle. Micah, Micah in 778 battled this. Listen to what? He says, but as for me, I will watch. Expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. What did Micah run to when he didn't understand? He ran to the character and the promises of God, and those fueled his waiting. He was able to wait how? Expectantly. If fueled is waiting, but he knew the promises. He was confident in God's character. Again, we don't wait without being fueled. Again, that's why we have the Scriptures. I mentioned it earlier. We've looked at this before, but Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. You know what that means? So that we can wait. And we can wait expectantly. Why? By feasting on the Word. By understanding the character of our God. Uh, the Bible is very clear. You and I currently, we see dimly. We don't see everything. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. But in the meantime, you know what he says? Wait. And wait with faith, with hope, and love. Wait. And the beauty while we wait, is you see it there on your handout, what the gospel offers us and the scriptures offer us is hope while we wait, no matter the circumstance. One day there will be a great reversal. Evil will draw evil upon itself and God will crown the righteous with eternal life. That is a promise. Romans 8.18, Paul said, For I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. You know what that whole chapter focuses on? Wait. We have been saved, he says. We have been adopted, Romans 8, 23 through 25. We have been adopted, but we have been adopted what? In hope. Hope. Am I adopted? I am. Have I received the fullness of that yet? I have not, so I wait. I wait. But I have the promises to build my waiting. I have promises to fuel my waiting. That one day it'll be worth it. One day God's going to deal with evil. That's what he tells him. But wait. Wait. But while you wait, work. Share the gospel. We have the solution. God has done something about sin. Are we putting it are we are we taking our light and we put it under a basket? Or are we putting it out on the table for everybody to see? Again, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. That word making the most it literally means buy up, snatch up every single. It's like, you know, it's like you found a deal in the store. Deal of all deals and you just snatch it up. That's literally the picture. Can you believe? Can't, we're we're going to we had this experience. We're we're our kid our son Brad is in uh, civics. He's learning all about Washington DC and the government and all this stuff and so we thought, you know what? Let's go to Washington DC for spring break. So, for the, about the past 8 months, we've been looking at plane tickets and we're like, we ain't going to Washington DC. <laughs> Not at that price are just waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm sitting there watching television the other night, and Karen comes running in. Chris, the tickets are $74. What should we do? I'm like, you ain't bought them yet? <laughs> She's asking me all these questions. I say, Karen, stop asking questions. Hurry. Go buy the tickets. Hurry. Snatch it up. Snatch it up. Should we wait? Did you hear what I said, woman? No, I don't speak to her like that in public. No. <laughs> like, go buy the tickets. Sna- but that's, but d- that, that picture is the, is the same vision that we need with, with, with the gospel. God, uh, these opportunities are opportunities to snatch up for the gospel, for the glory of God. Are we sitting quiet, or do we have answers that people need? We have answers that people need. The question is, do you know them? Are you bold enough to share them, as we said in 1 Peter 3, 15, no matter, do not fear their intimidation. Don't fear their intimidation. You're going to look like a fool? You know what Paul said? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the righteous live by faith. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul was willing to be shamed, by the gospel. He was not ashamed of the gospel. And that leads me to the second point, though that's extra, you didn't pay for that, that was not even in my notes. We must wait, we must, while we wait, we must wait and live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4, many regard Habakkuk 2.4 to be the central verse in, in all the Bible, but the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. There there is so much contained in this one verse of Habakkuk 2.4 that it took three, really three, specifically three New Testament books to explain it. Romans 1.16 and 17, the righteous live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, the righteous live by faith. Galatians 3, the righteous live by faith. Faith, not answers, not everything spelled out. Faith, faith glorifies the one in whom we're trusting. Faith, but do we know the one whom we're trusting? Because that fuels our faith, the scriptures. And and again, these can challenge our faith. Nobody's doubting that. The pride, the flourish, sin seems to win. Listen, faith. Calvary looked that way. Three days, Calvary looked that way. Then Sunday came. up from the grave he arose. Amen. And you know what that was? That was a fulfillment of a promise, because in Genesis 3:15, God said, "Satan, I'm going to raise up a seed. He's gonna bruise, and, and you're going to bruise his heel." You're going to strike a blow to him, but you know what he's going to do? He's going to crush your head. You're going to wound him. It'll look like, for a little bit, it'll look like you win, but you know what? He's going to crush your head. Listen, you and I are probably living in that, Saturday, that Friday afternoon, Saturday, wait. The promise is there. It's just yet to be fulfilled. Wait. One day, there's going to be a great reversal. One day, God's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Righteous from the unrighteous. And the apparent, you see it, don't let the apparent lack of act of divine action, which causes faith to falter. In reality, listen, that's an inability to perceive things as God knows them to be. You have to trust that. Live by faith. Even, listen, I, I think about this, you know, It's like an hourglass. Faith is like an hourglass. You ever seen an hourglass? There's all this stuff up top, and then there's this narrow section, and then it gets bigger and bigger. That narrow section is like faith. All of the events of your life are pointing you to faith, and all the events at the same time, all the events of your life have to flow flow through your faith. But listen, everything is going to pass through your faith. How do you see it? It's 2 Corinthians 10, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Go back to your faith. It's like a little kid, it's like your kids who are afraid of the dark and you go into the room and you you turn on all the lights and there's monsters in here and, well, let's look in the closet. Ain't no monsters in the closet. Let's look under the bed. No monsters under the bed. Let's look all over the room. We show them. The lights are on. I show them all the room. There are no monsters. We agreed? No monsters. You turn out the lights. You know what they gotta trust in the dark when they can't see? They gotta trust in the dark when they can't see what you what God what dad and mom revealed to them in the light when they could see. They know monsters. When when we can't see, when it don't make sense, we gotta trust in the dark what God has revealed in the light. We gotta trust the God that we know in the midst of our circumstances. Faith. Don't require faith to say there's no monsters when the lights are on. Faith is when the lights are turned off and you can't see. But while we wait, again, again, and, and trust that God is working. Let me close real quick. While we wait in faith, we need an accurate view of the greatness of God. You can go to Micah, you can go to Isaiah, you can go to all these places. What fueled their faith was a right view of God. And that's even what Habakkuk gives in Habakkuk 3. God, 3 verse 3, his splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight, his rays flashing from his hand and there is hiding of his power. He he says, praise God, look to God, the greatness of God. And one of my favorite passages, we, we have this hanging in our kitchen. Go to Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18, and this is ultimately, this is ultimately where, where we've got to be as a people. This is, the, this is what he says in summary. In times like we're living, times like many of you have been through yourself, listen to what Habakkuk says. Though the fig tree should not blossom... And there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no fruit. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. No matter what, Habakkuk termed to praise God. No matter what, Habakkuk said, I'll live by faith in who I know God to be. And that's the essence of faith. You see it there. It's loving and serving God regardless of circumstances. That's faith. Again, those were the words, the prophet there, pictures. We don't get it. We're not farmers. Ours would look like this. Though there was nothing in the produce aisle at Publix. No, no, like when the hurricane came, many of y'all went to the grocery store, and guess where the water was? It was gone. Panic. Gas. Gone. I mean, Habakkuk paints the worst picture, worst circumstances you can think of. You know what he says? No matter what may happen, no matter what may happen, I'm going to rejoice in God. No matter what happens, I'm going to trust. And it's the same for us today. No matter, listen, we need a faith that's because we understand and know the character of our great God. We we, we understand his promises. It says this no matter what, I'll serve you. No matter what. And and you get to 19 of Habakkuk the Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds' feet and makes me to walk on high places. Hope. What a contrast from Habakkuk in 1 and 2. And here's here's what you and I, here's what God calls us to. Ultimately, what is faith? I want to summarize faith like this. It's allegiance to God no matter what. Allegiance to God no matter what. No matter what. I, I don't understand, but I trust a God who does. I don't know what's going on, but I trust in a God who does. Again, the, the why might be the fig tree doesn't blossom, the grapes don't show up in the vine. You know why? Because my hope and your hope ain't in a fig tree. My hope, your hope, not in a vine. It's in the God who causes the fig tree to blossom and who causes the vine to grow. And even if they don't grow, guess what? God is good. Even when it seems evil is prospering, listen to me, God is good. Even though you have no reason outwardly to believe it, listen to me, the Scriptures, you know what they tell me? God is good. we got thousands and thousands. Of, you ain't the, No temptation has come upon you that such as common to man. God has always been good. He did not cease to be good to you. Christ, and, and listen, this world is not our home. Christ has come to, to abolish what we see. To undo sin and its effects. And one day, one day, Revelation 21, one day he's going to wipe away every tear. But until then, listen to me, wait. Wait. And share that kingdom while we wait. Don't go under. Go to God, understand who he is, his greatness. And listen to me, what we need is a mature faith. A mature faith, trusts humbly but persistently in God's design. That's why we need a mature faith. That's why we need to be studying the Word every day, devouring the Word. So that we're not tossed around by every wind and wave and trickery doctrine. When these things happen like what we saw Wednesday, we have answers that defend our God, but they also tell about the greatness of our God. Amen? And and I pray that we would be that church. That we would conduct ourselves with wisdom, as Colossians 4 5 says, with outsiders. That we would use these opportunities to make the most of every opportunity... Snatch them up. Ephesians 5 says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. They're gone like that. Snatch them up. And and you can always call. I'm here to serve. If you're struggling. But listen to me, go to the Word. God is good. No matter what, listen to me, God is good.